As most of you know, I went to St. Mary's um, for elementary school. And when I was at St. Mary's, uh, I think it's about third grade, we had the opportunity to be in band class. Um, now, I, as you know, I'm, I'm not musically inclined at all. Um, but, I, uh, but yeah, I was, I, it, was a chance to, it was a chance to get out of regular classroom and to go hit stuff. So, of course, I was all about being in the band, right? Make a lot of noise, uh, figure out how to do something with music, possibly. It would be great. Well, that first year in band, um, we didn't use other instruments like you would normally do. Like, we didn't have a trumpet. We didn't have the trombone. We didn't have the drums. We didn't have all these other things. Um, we all, to, just so we can be introduced to musical concept and musical theories and things like that, um, just so we could learn how to read music and that kind of stuff, what they did was is they put all of us on the same plane and we all had to use the same instrument. The nice little recorder, the little flute, right? Um, this thing, I mean, it, if you blew too hard in it, it sounded like a cat, like that was being, it being uh, like, like something was like happening to it or like it was dying or something, it was, it was horrible. Um, but as we, were lear- as we were learning how to play this music, um, they, we would just learn how to like read music and then you put a couple of notes together here and there. Well, it, it, was, it was one thing for me to learn how to play it. It was another thing for me to go home and practice it, right? Because um, my parents, now they had a torture device that was taking place in the house as well because they hear this screeching and this messing up and they just hear the noise going on and they're just like, please, for God's sake, I'm going to throw this thing into the bayou. Um, go outside with that and stay away from me. After a couple of weeks involved in the class and after learning a total of three notes, yes, right, and, and, and learning how to play it and learning, kind of learning a little bit about it, um, I, I learned my first song, and it was a very popular song, and it's a song that we all going to know. Um, it went um, B-A-G-A-B-B-B-A-A-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-
We're good with playing one song. Sometimes we might feel like a one-hit wonder. Like, like Lord, I, I, look, I do my thing. I, I know what I'm doing. I'm good at what I do. So why are you stretching me to do that? Like, Lord, I, I come to Mass every week. I even bring my family. Even though I got kids that are fighting over me and everything else. Like, but I'm in Mass every weekend. Why would you ask me to do something that's not so comfortable? Like, Jesus, look, look like, I, I'm, I'm, I, I pray my rosary faithfully. I have my life kind of planned out. I do my stuff, and you don't trip me along the way. So apparently, I'm doing something right, so I'm good with where I'm at. So why on earth, Lord, would you ask me to do something uncomfortable? Something like that. You see, our second reading today, I think what happens a lot of times is we kind of put this distance between us and God. That I can do whatever I want, and God's going to bless it. And if I start going the wrong way, he's going to hit me with something, and he's going to tell me, stop, right? But that's not how God actually works. God is not a God. Our God, as, as a Christian, as a Catholic, we do not believe in a God who designed everything, put everything in place, kind of built the engine, started it up, and said, peace out, y'all good. Just run, do your thing. I'm going to be over here, and if you need a mechanic, come see me. But, like, your life is up and running, and I'm going to just kick back over here until you, until you need something. That is not how God works. That is not how the God of Christianity works. Our second reading today actually hits on this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has, been similarly, who, has, who has similarly been tested in every way, yet without sin. Now, if we're going to break open the, 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 reading, the second reading from the, from the letter to the Hebrews, we've got to understand a couple of things about the imagery that's going on here. Because whenever the author is talking about the high priest, he's talking to a Jewish culture, a Jewish people, right? It's a letter to the Hebrew people for them to read and come to understand who Jesus is and who Jesus was for them. So when he's using this imagery, we might not be familiar with what he means by the high priest. But in the Jewish culture, there was a priestly class of people. Typically, they were called the Levites. They were from the, Le the, tribe of Le the tribe of Levi. And their job was to be in the temple and offer sacrifice. So they were kind of separated from the rest of the community, from the rest of the Jewish people. They kind of had an exalted kind of status in the community. Because anything, any sacrifice that was to be offered to God had to first go through their hands. All a priest is is a mediator between God and man. And in the Jewish, in the Jewish celebration of their faith, they had to offer sacrifice. So it was the priest who would kill the animal or burn the offering. And it was the priest who was in the temple offering sacrifice on behalf of the people. So what that did was it almost separated the priest from the common person. It was almost a class system where the priests were high and mighty and had their own way of living. And then you had the common person. But what the author is saying today 
in talking about Jesus, explicitly referencing Jesus, he says, we do not have a high priest who is up and separate. But instead, we have one who is one of us. Who has understands and knows our weakness, who has embraced our weakness, who has known who we are and what the temptations look like, and suffered what we suffered, and lived the way we lived, and ate like we eat, and loved like we loved, and felt like we felt, and cried like we cried, and we have a God who understands what it means to be one of us. Now, I don't know if you, you may not realize how scandalous that is in reference to world religions. Because it would be utterly scandalous for someone that was a Buddhist or a Hindu or someone that was, for even Jews, for, the, for Muslims, for anybody to hear that God would become a human being, that the Creator would become a creature. That God would step down into time and be one of us. And not like a superhero one of us, but just like one of us. You might have that 90s song playing in your head, I'm sorry, right? But like, would be, like God would be tempted the same way we are tempted, would have weakness, would have hurt, would have struggles, would have had his heart broken, and ultimately at the end of his life would have died just like a human being does. We really think about it, it's almost absurd to think that God would step down and not keep a distance. But instead, that he would see it fit to be every bit as vulnerable as you and I are. That's why, that's why keeping God at a distance that's why looking at God as like this cosmic mechanic, if you will, that just kind of fixes stuff when I need it and then walks away again, it's not a Christian thought. You may, uh, you may know, uh, I just last week got back from my, my retreat. Um, I was on an eight-day silent retreat, so we'll do the oohs and ahs now. Father JD was silent for eight days. Yes, I was. It was amazing. Um, got to take my phone off. It was great. Well, I remember when I was, when I was getting there, um, I, just to share with you, I, I, in my life, um, I, I've, done a, I've done a pile of silent retreats, and it, they've always had a lot of graces and a lot of blessings around them. But this one, I can honestly say, I've never been less, less ready, but needed one more. Um, beforehand the 75 or so priests that we were there we uh we shared kind of what our desires and what our hopes were for the retreat and when I was talking about it I said yeah I just want to make sure that like when I wake up in the morning I know the lights are working and I know the water can, I can drink like I can brush my teeth with the water that's coming out the wall and they looked at me and they're like what are you talking about because these guys are from the midwest and of course uh, two weeks after the storm the national media stopped caring and then week after that, when, you know, when New Orleans got power, national media stopped caring, and when the local media stopped, stopped caring, whenever the Thibodeau and Homa got power, so we all should be fine, right? Um, and I made sure to say that, and I was a little angry, but anyway. Um, but they, they were shocked to hear what, what, we live, what, we, what, what the last six weeks has been. Just everything. 
And I remember when I quieted down, when I was able to kind of enter into prayer and actually, actually start listening to what it was that God was saying, I didn't realize how much of that stuff I brought with me to retreat. I didn't realize how much of that stuff I just felt the burden of, like, adjusters and trying to get aid to people and all these things. And at one point, I, I shared this because at one point during the retreat, I was sitting praying. I'm in the chapel. I'm, it's quiet. I'm, I feel like I'm hearing the Lord's voice speaking to me, and I'm like, this is great. And as I'm, as I'm sitting in the chapel and I'm praying, I just asked the question to, God, like, to Jesus. I was like, Jesus, where were you in all of this? You may have asked that same question at some point. Like, where are you? Um, I'm, I'm with you. Like, it wasn't a, it, now it wasn't like a, I felt abandoned where were you, like it wasn't an anger thing, it was just like a, I'm, I'm, I'm carrying a month worth of this stuff. Like just, just where are you? Where have you been in all of this? Now when I left on Sunday, I grabbed a different Bible than I typically use. Usually I use like a little one that I can put in my pocket. This one I just grabbed like an old one that I use for talks and stuff. Hadn't opened it in a long time, so I grab it, I bring it with me, and I have it open on my lap. And as I have it open on my lap, I had two prayer cards in it, and one of them kind of slipped out. As I'm asking this question. And the prayer card was the image that I have up in the church. And it was something that pierced, that like captivated my attention about Jesus' eyes in particular. Because I've seen those eyes when I brush my teeth. And it hit me. His exhaustion is my exhaustion. His sadness was my sadness. His frustration was my frustration. His helplessness was my helplessness. His tears are my tears. In the same way, it's never been more clear to me what it means that God became man. That Jesus Christ did not see it fit. That we, and it's never been more of a point to celebrate that we don't have a high priest who's stuck in, the heaven, in heaven and is looking down on us from afar. But instead, that we have a high priest that knows what it means to be weak. We have a high priest that understands. We have a savior that has been a human being that understands the frustration that I know I have been and probably most of us, of most of us have carried for the last month and a half. Will this ever get better? The exhaustion of trying to figure out where my kids are going to school this week. 
You see, I think for all of us, it's a, it, it, if there's nothing else for us today, is for us to recognize that we do have a God who is very, very strong. But his strength is not for his own sake. His strength is because we are weak. And God does not want to be a God who's this cosmic mechanic who just kind of sits back and waits for us to have problems so he can come in and fix them. No. God wants to be a God who is right there with us in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our struggle, in the middle of the weaknesses that we have in our life. If it doesn't have to do with the storm, that's fine. But every one of us have some weakness. Every one of us has some ways that we're miserable. Every one of us has some ways in which we have sinned and fallen short in love of our neighbor. And God is powerful, not for his own sake. But God is powerful so that he can save. When we come to Mass today, We're coming to have that God again to step down into our life, into our weakness, into our shortcomings, into every way in which we need to experience and know his presence. Right now, that might be because I don't have a house. Right now, that might be because I have to drive 45 minutes to go find what the next thing I need. We have a God who is not powerful for his own sake, but meets us in our frustration and our weakness and our pain and our sin. You see, when we come to Mass, we come with a sense of faith knowing that today God is going to step down again. That God is going to step down again in person, in the sacrament. And he's going to meet us. So when we come to receive him, we come open. When we come to receive him, we come with a heart open and ready for his grace. Ready to receive him into the deepest, hardest places of struggle in each one of our lives. Or, we can do as the apostles did in the gospel. God, before I, before I ask you, I need you to say yes. I need you to give me what I want and not what I need. Today, may we receive the Lord into the places that we need him the most. Into the weakness I mean, we see he, he, his strength is for our weakness. His mercy is for our misery. His love is for our sin. Today, we can be weak before our Lord. Because he knows what it means to be weak. He's experienced the sufferings that we've suffered. So today, may our hearts be ready to receive.